0: Hello, Falava. You're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. o Suisui Coming up. It's the first time that this commission has set down a management procedure for one of the four
1: major tuna stocks, so it is a significant step.
0: The Western and Central Pacific Fisheries Commission meeting in Vietnam wraps up. Also,
1: for the decolonization to happen, they want to have so called bilateral talks with Paris
0: independence still seems like a pipe dream for New Caledonia, and later on... We're really excited
2: to have North America back on board uh, via Hawaii.
0: The Cook Islands welcomes two new flight partnerships to commence next year. The annual meeting of the countries involved in the world's largest and most lucrative tuna fishery wrapped up in Vietnam on Saturday. The 26 members of the Western and Central Pacific Fisheries Commission constitute resource-owning island nations and foreign countries whose fleets sail thousands of nautical miles to fish the tuna-rich waters of the Pacific. Kuroi Hawkins reports. Although
3: polar opposites, the Commission members were able to compromise enough to adopt, among other things, a new management procedure for skipjack tuna, agree on new conservation measures for sharks and commit to placing climate change at the forefront of all future undertakings of the Regional Fisheries Management Organisation, also known as the Pacific Tuna Commission. The Secretary-General of the Pacific Islands Forum Fisheries Agency, Manu Tupo-Rusin, said for its 17 member countries, the adoption of the management procedure for skipjack was a huge achievement.
0: This allows us to have more certainty in this fishery in terms of setting out predetermined levels of fishing uh, for the skipjack stock based on the performance of the fishery. And it is the first time that this commission has set on a Management procedure for one of the four major tuna stocks. So it is a significant step.
3: However, conservation group, the Pew Charitable Trusts, says it's disappointed the Western and Central Pacific Fisheries Commission did not agree to a fully binding harvest strategy for the skipjack tuna fishery. The Trust's international fisheries officer, Glenn Holmes, praised the Commission for adopting the modernized management plan, calling it a step in the right direction, but said the decision to make the science based system non binding was disheartening. The World Wide Fund for Nature's Western and Central Pacific Tuna Program Manager, Baba Cook, agrees. You know, we think if you're going to commit to a process and you're going to commit to a procedure, you should commit to it fully. It's, it's kind of like saying, um, you know, I want to marry you, but I want it to be on a trial basis for a couple of years. You know, it's, it's, it's not a very practical way to approach a, a, what should be a binding arrangement. This year's meeting in Danang was the members first to be held in person since the start of the pandemic. It saw a week of grueling back-to-back meetings spent poring over line after line of text that would dictate the future management of the fishery. The Solomon Islands Director of Fisheries, Edward Honiwala, headed a small delegation to the Pacific Tuna Commission in Danang last week. He said it was important that Pacific countries present a united front at the commission because there were some very big players like the United States and China at the decision-making table. Well, at the commission level, uh, it's you can you you can you can imagine um, for smaller island countries trying to you know uh, push things uh, with these bigger countries.
4: Uh, in my own uh, view, I can't see there. are uh, politics within the system too as well so it, it, it's really quite uh, sometimes it's I
3: should say it's quite tough to push uh, some of our issues through the commission. Next year at about this time it will be the Cook Islands who will be hosting the annual meeting of the Pacific Tuna Commission in Narotonga.
0: A year after the third and last referendum on independence from France, New Caledonia's future status is still unclear. Full sovereignty was rejected, but the vote was boycotted by the pro-independence party, which refuses to recognise the result. French attempts to advance discussions on a new statute have been slow to succeed. For an update about the latest efforts, I talked to my colleague, Walter Zweifel.
1: So, Walter, what's the latest? The French Interior Minister, Gérald Darmanin visited New Caledonia in the past week, and that was an effort by France to have an engagement with the pro-independence parties in New Caledonia after the referendum a year ago. An early attempt to have talks at a higher level in Paris in October failed because the pro-independence parties didn't attend those talks. They've always said that the outcome of that referendum is something they won't accept because that had boycotted the vote, and it did not reflect the wish of the indigenous people in this decolonization process. Uh, so Mr. Darmanin went to New Caledonia, and he met all parties concerned. He was there for a full week. He talked to civil society groups, talked to young people, talked to chiefs, talked to government. He spent a week listening to what people had to say about what they think the future of New Caledonia should be.
0: What was the position taken by the
1: pro-independence parties? Well, as I said, they don't recognize the outcome of the referendum. They say that the decolonization process is one that has to end in independence. So for the decolonization to happen, they want to have so-called bilateral talks with Paris before engaging in any further discussions on what the future of New Caledonia should look like. Now, the pro-independence parties uh, seem to be on the front foot on this one here because Mr. Damana agreed that there should be... Consideration of the position of the FLNKS, which is the umbrella group of the pro independence parties. And the FLNKS will have a Congress in January. That's when all these pro independence parties meet. They will try to assume a common position with which they want to confront French government and find a way forward, or from their point of view, a timetable to attain independence. Uh, Mr. Darmanin has accepted that this is uh, the position of the FLNKS. He is in all probability. Uh, going to return to New Caledonia to advance that discussion.
0: And what's the stance of the anti-independence parties? For the anti-independence
1: parties, the outcome of the referendum was clear. It was an overwhelming no to independence. More than 96% voted against full sovereignty. But you have to keep in mind that less than half of the population voted because of this boycott, so it is not a proper reflection of the wish of the people. However, the result is clear, it's strong, it's legal, it's been tested in court. The objections that were put forward to that result have been rejected in court. So for the anti-independent side, it is now just a question of enacting that referendum outcome and reintegrating New Caledonia into France, uh, the, sorry, the anti-independence parties, they of course want the electoral system to be changed, meaning that these restrictions that are imposed on migrants of the last 20 years should be lifted so that anyone who is a French citizen who's been there for six months is allowed to vote. And that, of course, is an extremely contentious uh, proposition. So where to from here, Walter. The, the process is again delayed. We have no indication yet from the French government to, as to how uh, this demand to change the electoral role is going to be accommodated. Uh, we also don't know uh, what is going to come in these bilateral talks after the FLNC's Congress next year. There is this demand for independence. There is, however, uh, the position from the, Mr. Darman saying saying they have to accept the outcome of the vote. At the same time, he says there is still New Caledonia's right to self-determination. There is also the international obligation to accompany the Canucks to independence. So it leaves it open to a compromise, which could involve a shared sovereignty. Um, how these discussions are going to go it's hard to say. On the horizon, the deadline we have seems to be 2024 when the next general elections or the so-called provincial elections are due, at which time it has to be known whether it's going to be new electoral rolls. And in order to get there, there has to be a new statute in place. So time is pressing. So we have about a year and a half to wrap up all these discussions on what the future status should be and then to have these elections.
0: The need for technology and more comprehensive strategies to address food insecurity in Pacific Island countries was the conclusion of the Pacific Small Island Developing State Solutions Forum in Samoa. Government officials and scientists from all over the region highlighted various problems, such as labour shortages, the effects of the climate emergency and over-dependency on food imports. Final Whonua has more.
4: There was a sense of urgency at this annual regional conference, which brings together officials and experts from Pacific Island countries to discuss the state of agri-food systems. In this conference, governments shared their experiences with national food shortages as a result of global disruptions. Not a speech was delivered without mention of the COVID pandemic. Samoa's Prime Minister Fiame Naomi Mata'afa said the pandemic exposed just how vulnerable Pacific Island countries are to food shortages as stocks ran short of food imports. The impacts of
3: COVID-19 directly and indirectly on agriculture and food systems mean that we have had to be adaptive and be innovative. We experienced during the COVID-19 pandemic the impact of food shortages and remains a strong reminder to us of the importance of our traditional food systems.
4: If there's any region in the world that exemplifies that of food insecurity, it's Micronesia. In Nauru, less than 20% of the land is arable, and in Kiribati, it's less than 3%. Kiribati Minister of Land and Agriculture, Ruateki Tekiari, said lack of fertile land is due to high salinity as a result of rising sea levels, leaving the country hopelessly dependent on imports. Tekiari says despite the serious challenges, innovative systems and technology would restore the agriculture sector.
1: We are not
3: on equal footing with our resilience and ability to cushion. Impact of COVID 19 and the war in Ukraine. Kiribati is so unfortunate that agriculture is not our comparative advantage due to poor soil fertility and water salinity. The compounding crisis affecting our country is an eye opener to Kiribati, and we see the critical role of agriculture. It will play in terms of our food security, climate smart agriculture, and friendly farming to our environment, surface forests explore as part of
4: quest agriculture. It's not only the climate emergency and the pandemic that's affecting food security. Conflicts such as the Ukrainian war is also having an effect as well as labor shortages due to labor mobility schemes. In Tonga, thousands have left to work as fruit pickers in Australia and New Zealand. Tonga's Minister for Agriculture, Isaleli Aholele, said the labour shortage is so bad that drones have to be used to fertilise large-scale plantations. The labour constraint will be
2: uh, something uh, that we have to look into it. We cannot uh, deny uh, labour mobility. Uh, a lot of our labours are going overseas on food picking and so if we have a labour constraint, we have to go to mechanisation. I think you all know that uh, we are using drone, for example, for doing the spraying of the insecticides and, and pesticides. And I think that's the, an example of the importance of mechanisation.
4: At its conclusion, the overwhelming consensus of the regional discussion was the need for adoption and regional collaboration. Concrete resolutions included the distribution of apps created in Fiji to facilitate the buying and selling of agriculture. Another was the consolidated foreign policy efforts into pressuring developed nations into funding climate disaster mitigation projects. Samoa's Minister of Agriculture, Lauli Smith, reiterated the consensus of Pacific countries taking a consolidated regional approach.
3: Our common agenda today is to call to tangible action now, action to accelerate and to transform our food system since the impact of tribal crisis may take longer to recover. I encourage us all, there is no room for argument. We consolidate for the
4: people. It's a strong statement that's been said many times at regional conferences, but one that has resounding truth. Many pessimists conclude that food security would be impossible to achieve and are already pushing for policies in evacuating Pacific Islands.
0: New Zealand is no longer the gateway to the Cook Islands. Direct flights between Ararotonga and Honolulu kick off in May next year, and from June, direct flights to and from Sydney have also been announced. Cook Island Tourism Industry Council President Liana Scott is elated following the news of the partnerships. Not just um, from
2: one country, but two. (laughs) So we're really excited to have uh, North America back on board uh, via Hawaii. Uh, And then, of course, Sydney direct flights um, straight after and uh, starting late June, uh, which will make all all of the difference, really, for our small island. That's so dependent on tourism. And another announcement, $10 million set aside as a guarantee, or how would you explain this money that has been set aside to support these changes? So they call it airline subsidy. So basically uh, in order to, I guess, I guess, get buy-in from some of these bigger airlines, uh, they need to know that those legs are going to be covered capacity-wise. So, I mean, ideally, all things going great and filling to capacity. It means that we have to use less of this airline subsidy money. Uh, but basically, it's uh, like a guarantee for the airlines to be able to uh, travel that le- those legs. So, Hawaii to Rarotonga as well as Sydney Rarotonga, and that's with Hawaiian Airlines and Jetstar only at this stage. So it's subsidies that were put in place for ports that we don't normally travel to or, or, or are expensive um, to get here in the first instance. So just to confirm, the $10 million set aside is not something that Air New Zealand can dip and do or be used for their airline. Correct. So Air New Zealand fly just Auckland, Rarotonga. And, uh, look, I wasn't part of any of the negotiations, but I understand that they certainly were asked to fly either the Los Angeles Rarotonga route, which they have done previously and received the benefit of the wage sub- uh, of the subsidy previously. And also, they, uh, also flew Sydney direct previously and they haven't been, um, successful or, or perhaps they, haven't opted to be part of uh those travel legs this time round. I know that they too have been uh trying to get, you know, aircraft back in the air, either out of the desert or, or get things underway so that they can travel um more fluidly. I mean we've been, you know, calling out for flights from Auckland Rara. We were, I think, for the first time in any time that I can remember, Uh, having absolutely zero seats available for most of September and most of October. So that's very, very unusual. Um, And they just didn't have the uh, planes from what I understand. So they're probably still coming out of uh, COVID and and, and slowly easing into full operation. Uh, But my understanding is they uh, did not opt into um, either of the Sydney direct or Honolulu direct flights This has been a long time coming to have these flights back on the map, back up and running. How many more tourists do you anticipate them to bring in annually? Yeah, so I guess, um, you know, there's not a magic number as per se, but, um, you know, we look at the 2019 figures and certainly 2019 from the US, which is also uh, Europe, And from uh, Sydney Direct, that would bring probably just over 50,000 tourists. Uh, And then the balance would come from New Zealand. So a big core of numbers come out of New Zealand. So that's our biggest market. Uh, But what happens is, unfortunately, New Zealand is quite seasonal for us. So come your summer, which you're heading into now, uh, we do get a decline in tourist numbers to the Cook Islands. So one of the important factors of getting uh, routes out of uh, North America as well as Australia is to try and bridge that gap of a high season and a low season. So we're trying to increase our low season numbers. And one of the ways to do that is to have these legs traveling. Uh, So unfortunately, it's not going to be in time for this coming season. So we're expecting uh, a pretty low or, or pretty quiet a uh, low season uh, for this coming year. So the uh, December, Jan, February is our quietest period. Um, but what we find is when we do have flights coming out of the U.S. or coming out of Sydney, uh, we're able to fill that gap a, a lot better. Um, of course, you know, they say, you know, you shouldn't have all your eggs in one basket. And New Zealand, uh, with its high inflation and, and the um, recession due to, uh, high interest rates coming along, it is important to be looking at, at other markets and branching out as much as we can because we've got a, a tourism market that we very much uh, rely on heavily uh, that we need to ensure uh, maintains its success.
0: That's Pacific Ways for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Pawe Tele lava, manuele bayaso.